When Luke Skywalker was most vulnerable. This is a dangerous time for you. It is you and your abilities the Emperor wants. When a renegade hero became a friend in desperate need. And a dark villain faced his greatest challenge. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. When the Empire turned more and more to the forces of the underworld. Bounty hunters. We don't need that scum. <laughs> the underworld moved in to crush the Empire and the Rebellion in a single stroke. After the Empire Strikes Back and before Return of the Jedi, there was a time when heroes and villains alike lived in the shadows of the Empire. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode 426, Shadows of the Empire, 25th anniversary. I am as always one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire, and I am joined by my faithful Shadows of the Empire companions of five years ago for its 20th anniversary. We've got my buddy Greg and good old Joe Hogan. Hello, gentlemen. Yo. Hello. 25 years. <laughs> 25 years. This thing is 25 years old. I was 10 years old, I guess, when this thing came out. Yeah. Wow. I feel old. Same here. Craig was older than that, though. Ooh, thanks a lot. Throw me under the bus immediately. Yeah, don't be, don't be outing Greg. I was, I was 13. Yeah. It's not like I was a grown man or something. I mean, I, I was a worldly 13. There you go. 13. Uh, I, I'm just so glad you both were uh, willing to come back on five years later to, to just talk about this movie that wasn't a movie production yeah. from 1996. Um you know, is is uh, we're Jason and I were gearing up for, uh, you know, May is always a big Star Wars month. You know, from May the fourth, obviously at the beginning of the month to today, as a, you know, the day of when we're recording on the twenty fifth itself, which is the anniversary, the forty fourth anniversary of a New Hope's premiere. Twenty eight years since, oh geez, that's some bad math. Thirty eight years since Return of the Jedi, and of course, three years old today is Solo, a Star Wars story. So May is a big month, and. As I was looking back on uh, what what were the Star Wars books I wanted to read in the month of May, I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Shadows is 25 years old this May. So I immediately messaged the both of you and was like, would you be interested in coming back on for another anniversary show? And luckily, you were both very much on board. Um, I'm always around for Shadows, man. Shadows <laughs> is like, I, I, still to this day, it's my favorite expanded universe anything for Star Wars like nothing tops it for me and we're going to get into that that's what I wanted so I want to think you know that's what we're going to kind of be talking about 
uh, this week is 25 years later. Why do we still love this story? What did it bring to Star Wars? Because it really did. Uh, it, it, I mean, it just did something very new for Star Wars insofar as launching this huge campaign. Um, the way it chose to look at canon is something very serious. Uh, that was something being developed in the mid nineties. So of course, with somebody like Greg, who very username is Ion Cannon, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to having some conversations around that with you on this episode. Um, so we're just going to dive right into that here in a second. But before we do just one quick bit of Wampa's Lair housekeeping, housekeeping, um, just want to encourage all of you, if you're not already doing so, to follow us on Instagram, uh, which is just at the underscore Wampuslayer. Uh, I find Instagram to be my favorite social media space. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to post random stuff from my collection, random things I'm thinking about Star Wars. Um, I find it to be a really positive space to interact with all of you. So if you're not doing that already, I encourage you to do so. And also, uh, as I'm starting to kind of trying to downsize a little bit of my collection um, on our Instagram stories. I'm just going to be throwing up free stuff for my collection. All you got to do is send me a message with a mailing address and I'm happy to start sending away free stuff. I just sent away a copy of true set Bakura this past week. Um, I've got a lot more things coming down the pipeline, but I'm only going to be putting those on Instagram. So if you're interested in just some free random star Wars stuff, again, nothing's going to be crazy rare or expensive, but uh, if, if you'd like to take it off my hands, uh, follow us on Instagram and you can get in on that. Um, so you're all right, Carla Claire. Let me tell you, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty neat. I'm going to pat you on the back since you're not patting yourself on the back. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, you know, uh, I think so many of us, I tried a couple of things that, that failed earlier this year, which was, I tried to start like a little Wampus Lair library and <laughs> literally got zero interest. So I was like, all right, well maybe free stuff will work So <laughs> um, that you can just keep. Uh, so, you know, I, I, this has been a long experience of mine with star Wars friends is just that willingness to, to share, to offload Greg, you're the perfect example of this. You're always dropping things off, especially during this pandemic year. I'll, you check your porch, Carl, I'll get that text message. And there's something great on my porch from Greg. So I think this is something we as star Wars fans, we're just, we're generous folks. So, uh, I would just like to, to pass on what I have learned from other friends. Um, so all right, my friends, shall we talk some shadows? I think we need to. Talk we some have shadows. to. <laughs> All right. Actually, can we switch to Truce to Bakura? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually. It's funny because right before I I mailed the book out uh, the other day, um, I actually was like, you know what? I haven't read this book in a long time, so I started reading it, and I was like, eh, I'm all set. Um, so I don't mean to I don't mean to sound like a jerk or anything. It's just I was like, I've been reading a lot of old Star Wars Legends this month, so I I, I was like, I don't need another one. Um, so that said, um, Shadows of the Empire, right? This is you know famously known as the movie without a movie project because we got a novel, we got a soundtrack, we got a comic book, we got toys, and we got a video game, um, and it's just, you know, there was so much that this world opened up for us. So he, here's where I would like to start. Um, as I was rereading the book Secrets of Shadows of the Empire, which was published shortly after all this stuff came out, it was kind of a behind, behind the scenes look at how it was all created. I don't know how I didn't pick up on this when I read this five years ago, and maybe I didn't forgot to mention it. And you both probably know this, but for those that don't, apparently 
the Shadows of the Empire project was supposed to take place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, but John Knowles, the very famous member of Lucasfilm, was the one that suggested they move it between Empire and Jedi. Did you both know that it was originally supposed to be between episodes four and five? I didn't know that until I read the exact same book. Okay. <laughs> so so I don't I don't remember if I read it four when we did the podcast, but I know for the first time I read that book in the, in the past, let's say five years is probably pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, that's the only reason I know that. And it's only from that book. And yeah, that's just never discussed by anybody. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, if I read that in that book, cause I know I read that book, I, I had forgotten it, but it also makes sense because the between empire and Jedi was kind of a blank slate. Um, you know, there's not a, ton in the old legends canon even in between a new hope and empire but there were certainly more so it's it's cool they went to this space yeah apparently john Knowles felt it was a it was a more compelling emotional space to take these characters specifically luke and vader um he felt that they could be you know tell a compelling story about you know vader's struggle to bring Luke in as well as Luke's struggle to really cope with, is it true that Darth Vader is my father plus trying to become a Jedi Knight? Um, So, you know, he just felt that that was a far more compelling part of the timeline to tell the story in. Now that said, it makes me kind of, well, it makes me kind of wonder like what that would have looked like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously I love what we got, but the fact that this was this huge multimedia project that it's all just based off of these characters that, you know, Han Solo would have been around. You know, we probably wouldn't have had a Dash Rendar. Would we have had a Prince Shizor? Like, what what exactly would that have looked like? Because we would have gotten all that stuff, Carla. You mentioned the video game and, and you know, probably wouldn't have had the Battle of Hoth. Or maybe the Battle of Hoth would have been the, the final battle in the video game or something mm. like what what would that have looked like with everything in the grand scheme, the big picture of all this multimedia that it's 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 just would be so radically different. And now I'm just curious, like, oh, man, I, I just want to, like, take a peek into the window of that alternate universe where that's the shadow <laughs> of the Empire that we got. <laughs> it would be interesting, too, because in that canon at that time, we didn't know anything else about the Emperor, right? Mm. So it would almost change how we meet him in Empire Strikes Back, right? Mm. So it could have, yeah, the possibilities are really interesting to think about. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a really good point. Um, so apparently as they were developing Shadows, so everyone that worked on it, from the comic writers to Steve Perry, who wrote the novel, um, Lucasfilm was really concerned with maintaining canon. Um, and they basically started to really care about that in in 1991 with Heir to the Empire. They kind of um, – and Greg, I know you are, have you know, been more of a connoisseur of the old Marvel comics from back in the, the 70s and 80s. Um, but they kind of you – know, it, you know, it, it's funny. Almost in a uh, – uh, a unique way they even early on kind of said we're going to ignore that stuff as legends and start a new canon and and that was with heir to the empire in 91 so when they were writing shadows it was very important that there would be nothing in that story that would be contrary to any of the other novels that were out at that time um and there were there were quite a few at that point um so you know i greg how important do you feel like it is for uh, you know, Star Wars expanded universe l- 
works to to maintain that level of of canonicity if that's a word i don't know sure um you know it's a really interesting question something i've been thinking a lot in uh, non-shadows of the empire context because um if you look at the other you know storytelling behemoth of our time it's marvel and marvel has this great freedom where they're not locked into having everything you know fit together yeah the films all fit together but they pick and choose from the comics and they rewrite things and they change things and star wars has this huge burden of like everything is is real everything counts um and i think it's you know i I, if you ask me honestly i don't think fans care as much as they pretend they do right everybody lashing out at bad batch because it changed a comic book for kane and jarris during order 66 it's like do you do you really care that about that and and i and i don't understand those that say yes i I don't mean to demean them but it's like for me i'm always tell me the best story in the moment and let me experience that story that way um so it's interesting to think about shadows as the moment that that becomes the burden star wars chooses right that we will say it it all counts but i remember even when i came into the books um which was prior to shadows the empire i think I started with the Corellia trilogy. Um, I don't. I don't know if that was the third or the fourth kind of set of books that came out. Um, but you even knew back then, like, well, the the comics are their own different thing. There's like this Green Rabbit or something. I don't know. <laughs> Ignore that. Um, and then the books felt very real, and and that probably started with Heir to the Empire. But then the interwoven aspects of the Shadows of the Empire project just made it feel important. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's when I, when I first picked up this book in 96 at 10 years old, um, much like you, Joe, I just, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of any of those things. And I, I Greg, I'm sure you weren't either <laughs> as a 15 year old, um, you know, it, at that, I think that that stage of my fandom and it was just, I want a fun star Wars story. And this really provided that. Um, and, I, and it, you know, so for me, one of the things that still really stands out to me about this particular story um, is just the adventure feel of so many of the segments. And the one that really stands out to me is the, the kind of the infiltration of Sheezer's palace in uh, it kind of towards the end of the novel is, you know, Dash, Lando and Luke make their way into Sheezer's uh, palace through the sewers. Uh, you know, like the, Luke literally fights a Dianoga and easily slays it this time as a Jedi Knight. Um, and, you know, you've got Dash just get popping off headshots at everybody. Lando, you know, kicking some butt and oh, Chewie's there, too. I, oh, I can't believe I forgot Chewie. Right? So you just had this kind of like high adventure fun. And, you know, at that stage of my fandom, like th- these were the types of things I was running around with my cousins playing Star Wars with, um, you know, and, and still 25 years later, I remember how, uh, you know, a simple story like that, that that kind of high adventure really fueled my love of this particular story. Um, so I, I'm curious, like Joe, for you, what is, what is, what is a part of this story 25 years, 25 years later that really latches onto you still, man, that is a loaded question. There's <laughs> so many answers to that, man. I love like every sequence of the story. Um, I think if I really had to choose the, all the swoop stuff, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I know, I mean, this is probably something we should touch on to some degree, but each 
uh, I guess, telling of the story on each medium is slightly different. Like, the video game is not quite how the novel plays out, um, probably because of, of, like, the limitations of the, of you know, the Nintendo 64 at the time, um, just not being able to handle that much stuff going on. Uh, and it was, like, one of the first games ever on the console. But, you know, the swoop bike stuff is very different from the comic book swoop bike stuff, which is different from the novel swoop bike stuff. So it's all really different, but for some reason, it's just all, like, I love all of it, even though there's all these, like, inconsistencies from from uh, medium to medium. But I don't know. When, when you started to mention, you know, a Star Wars adventure, the first thing I thought of was, oh, the, the swoop chase scene and, like, Everybody's trying to kill Luke, and Dash shows up, and you know saves the day. And Luke has to thread the needle in Beggars Canyon. It's like, oh, this is crazy! <laughs> you know, blowing my mind as a ten-year-old. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the one that comes to mind. Plus, like, I don't know what it was, but you know, you mentioned before that back then you weren't really thinking about you know larger connectivity as a whole. But for me. I got into Star Wars just before Shadows of the Empire. Like, I was super, super into the movies. This is the probably the first real expanded universe thing I was ever actually exposed to. And I think it resonated with me so much just because of how much it felt like the original trilogy. It felt like Star Wars, which is probably a very cliche thing to say these days. Whenever you're like, yeah, it just really feels like whatever. But, like, it did. <laughs> like, this felt like more Star Wars. It felt like more original trilogy. And... You know, for me, I was just like, oh, I want more. I want more Star I want more everything Star Wars. And the fact that there's speeder bikes on Tatooine that aren't the speeder bikes on Endor, that's so cool. And they're different looking and they're all unique looking. And I love the design and everything. So, yeah, that's my long-winded answer. It's all the swoop stuff. I don't know what it was. It was just that little bit of world building that Shadows did so, so, so well. It... Yeah. Oh my goodness. The uh, I love that you referenced the the threading the um, the stone needle because yeah. Uh, as someone, and obviously I didn't know this back in '96 when I first read the story, but you know, in in the long history of my fandom, I've one of my deepest loves of Star Wars um, media is the radio dramas from the early '80s. And in the very first episode of the A New Hope radio drama, you see Luke thread the stone needle in his skyhopper during a race scene. So the fact that they brought that specificity back to the um, into this novel story, I was like so thrilled about that. Um, but what about you, Greg? What is something? And I, again, like I'm sure there's more than one thing, but is there one particular thing that really jumps to your mind 25 years later when you think of this particular story? I mean, my thoughts always go to Dash. Um, and it really, you know, it, it was the cliche of 90s children, I guess, that we all kind of loved him, even though he's, <laughs> he's a, kind of joked about today, right? Um, you know, now I think he's viewed as like the Poochie of Star Wars, right? Like, we need somebody cool <laughs> and hip to, to get the kids excited. Um, and, but at the time, it totally worked on me. And um, to Joe's point about all the different pieces and the slightly different versions, it felt like almost like an archaeological dig or something like 
that or maybe like uh, paleontology where you like dust off a little over here and you learn this piece and you hear that they're thinking about Boba Fett and then you go dust off the comics and suddenly you get this intense story about that and then you know Dash wanders away in the novel and then you know oh that's where that level of the video game was Um, and that was a lot of fun to to discover all the different pieces and I know like I came to the comics pretty late I think it was a couple years after you know the main event that I found some issues or I, I probably traded with some friends to get them um, and found the whole war of the bounty hunters thing. And, and so I, I would pick out those two dash and he was just super cool. His ship was way cooler than the Falcon. I thought at the time, I don't know if I'd stick by that, but that's what I thought at the time. <laughs> um, and then uh, then the, the fighting between the bounty hunters and, and this moment where Boba Fett becomes a little bigger a little we start to understand why he's the the biggest and baddest in the galaxy that's a i love that you brought that in greg um the the stuff with with boba fett specifically because boba fett was a beloved character up to this point even though on screen he didn't do much (laughs) you know he kind of stands around an empire and then gets taken out pretty quickly like a punk in return of the jedi and yet i didn't think not to discount it he just looks so damn cool folks instantly fell in love with that character. So um, it really seemed to be, especially with Shadows and specifically in the the comic book story, they really wanted to flesh out this character um, and and show what makes him the meanest bounty hunter in all the galaxy. Um, did Did the way that Boba Fett was personified in the comic story affect the way you enjoyed that character moving forward? Uh, and and kind of ask that question to both of you. Um, Joe, what about you? You know, the, the comic book story kind of more focused on Boba Fett and having to, you know, fight IG-88 and then fight, um, you know, I think he has to fight Bosk when he shows up on Tatooine as well. Um, you know, it's a real mini bounty hunter war. Did, did the way they personified Boba Fett give you a deeper appreciation for, for the character or, was it just kind of icing on the cake for you at that point? I, okay. I'm sure I've told you this story before. Maybe Greg, you might've heard it the last time we did this, <laughs> but I, as a kid before shadows of the empire for me, what I put together and okay. So also some extra context. The first thing of shadows, of the empire that I was exposed to was the video game. Hmm. So the first thing ever shadows for me was the video game and then the comics. And then, you know, all the, you know, the novel and all that stuff and the figures. Um, so my understanding as a child was that everybody's like, Boba Fett's the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy. And I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> I get that he looks cool, but in Empire Strikes Back, he shoots at Luke and he misses. <laughs> uh, in Return of the Jedi, he's killed by a blind man. He doesn't do anything but stand around. Okay, he tracks them to, to Cloud City, but all he really did was just wait. <laughs> and then he followed up. So, like, as a kid, I I couldn't understand why Boba Fett was such a big deal. And then I played Shadows of the Empire. And you kick the crap out of him, and then you kick the crap out of his ship. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why everybody <laughs> likes Boba Fett. So the, the, the way I rationalized it as a child, this is a true story. The way I rationalized it as a child was, is he, like, a fraud? And maybe he, like, accidentally killed the right person or took credit for it and now everybody's afraid of him and everybody just thinks he's this like 
big tough dude and they're afraid of him because they don't know anything about him and he's like mysterious and i honestly thought oh that's what it's supposed to be and then i read the comic and i was like i am so confused because <laughs> he's so cool here like he he is that bounty and i i like for the longest time i was like i don't understand boba fett and then you know the mandalorian came around and uh now he's cool again so i'm like you know what boba fett's cool Um, but yeah honestly if anything Shadows of the Empire confused me more about how I was supposed to feel about Boba Fett (laughs) what about you Greg where did where did did his personification again more particularly in the comic uh because he's he's only ever mentioned in the novel uh did did it affect the way you saw that character Uh, so there were two pieces that I think were largely concurrent that affected my views on Boba Fett. So first would be the Shadows of the Empire comic book, which he's he's both the toughest, but he, he also outsmarts them, uh, the other bounty hunters, in kind of a cool way. So so he, he certainly grew in my estimation there. And then Star Wars Galaxy Magazine had a comic, I think it was called Twin Engines of Destruction. Yep. That's, yeah. Okay, yep. good. That's somebody That's can that. Yeah, so in that one, there is somebody else uh, who thinks you think is Boba Fett and is trying to take on the Boba Fett uh, persona, and it's kind of a war between these uh, two characters, one of whom they look identical except the other, the non-Boba Fett is a little more orange, I think, in, in his uh, visor uh, yeah. painting. Yeah, Jodo casts. Jodo casts. Yeah, or orange instead of red, yes. That's right. Nice. Good good memory. I didn't have that at all. <laughs> I, I had that, I had that comment, and like, that was actually a tipping point for me, too. I was like, oh, I guess he is cool, because I think I read that right after Shadows. Yeah, um, and, and it has to be about the same moment, because Galaxy Magazine is, is around the... They right, have a lot of yeah. Shadow covers, so... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I think those two made me appreciate him more. He was also... He was not my first Power of the Force uh, 2 action figure, but he was the first one I fell in love with. Um, I think somebody bought it for me, like a friend, and gave it to me before school, and it was in my locker all day. Um, and I would go to the bathroom from class and just go to my locker and open it up and, and just stare at him for a couple minutes and then shut the door and go back to social studies or whatever. Um, so I think it, I think it is always going to be the toy that really uh, made me a Boba fan originally. Um, but then, you know, this all helped because then he wasn't well, then he had something to play with with the toy. Right. You could do these adventures. Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> I love that you like left class to go just look at it. That's amazing. And I, like our lockers, we didn't have locks, or at least I didn't have a lock. So there's oh, probably man. part of it that's like I had to just make sure he was still there. Like, is he okay? <laughs> um, but the way, remember that figure had the Wookiee scalp braid? Yeah. Uh, like for the first time. Oh, man. That, that was like, how did they do this? This is incredible. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you know what, real quick, just to kind of segue into uh, another big part of the Shadows of the Empire, uh, you know, legacy is the fact that we got an entire line of action figures um, for this particular story. Um, and of course, like everything in the mid 90s, you had to have a cool commercial to sell those figures. So let's check that out. Prepare yourself for Star Wars Shadows of the Empire The cruel crime lord Shizor directs the carbonite capture of Han Solo And his imprisonment aboard bounty hunter Boba Fett's battle-ready Slave One Now, 
Luke Skywalker goes undercover with Soldier of Fortune Dash Rendar as he rips through space in his battle transforming outright. But can they stop Slave One in time? It's the ultimate ships for the ultimate battle. Dare to enter the shadow Star Wars. Shadows of the Empire. Because in vehicles each sold separately from Kenner. Was that Mark Hamill? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's that dude, play it again. That sounds like Mark Hamill. <laughs> oh, crap, I just I just closed it. Um uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm like 99% sure that's Mark Hamill by the sound of that. All right, hold on. Here we go. Let's let's cue this back up. Here we go. Prepare yourself <laughs> for Star Wars: Shadows of the Empire. The cruel crime lord Shizor directs the Carbonite capture of Han Solo and his imprisonment aboard bounty hunter Boba Fett's battle-ready Slave One. Oh, yep. Luke I'm gonna Scott. turn it off there because it's right in the um, description. Yes, it is Mark Hamill. <laughs> okay, right. I guess I didn't notice that. That's so cool. I had That's no idea. crazy. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Especially in 96, he was kind of distant. That was probably when he was furthest yeah. from the saga. So yeah. that's amazing that if that's him. Yeah. Also, good on you for being able to to catch that because <laughs> I didn't I, I, I'm big on voice actors. I know their job is to <laughs> not sound like themselves, but like when I hear a voice actor, I usually pick up on who it is. <laughs> Watch a lot of cartoons, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. But my goodness, these these figures I thought were just so great. And, you know, they were obviously right in line with the Power of the Force line that launched in 95. So they had a bit of that hulky, bulky <laughs> sense to the to the uh, to the action figure. But you got that purple back card as opposed to the you know more yellowish card of, of the 90s. Um, and apparently the uh, I guess a lot of the uh, apparently Steve Perry specifically found the outrider toy a bit comical because he's like oh it never does that in the story you know break apart and yeah. essentially become a become a <laughs> turns into a b-wing yeah yep. yeah so quick quick trivia question and again i i knew this just because i freshly read this i wouldn't have known it otherwise but you put you both will probably know this but do you know who's responsible for designing the outrider i have no idea dang what's that greg I'm guessing Doug Chang. You would be correct. <laughs> oh, nice. So, Doug Chang. You know what? To, yeah. to Greg's point before, the Outrider is still my uh, my favorite ship over the Millennium Falcon. As sacrilegious as wow. that is to say. <laughs> to this day, it's it's still my, it's my Corellian freighter. Hey, you nice. know, I, I, I respect it. You always give me hell because I, I prefer Kylo Ren's helmet to Darth Vader's, and I know that's sacrilege. So you're allowed to have your sacrilege. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Doug Chang had just started working for Lucasfilm in early 96. Mm. He was already starting to do some concept drawings for the prequels, you know, with, with George. And they kind of just roped him into, hey, can you help us design some of these you know, spacecraft for Shadows of the Empire. So he did the Outrider, um, Sheezer ship, which is the, oh my gosh, Viago, Virago? Virago. Virago. And he also Virago, designed yeah. the IG-2000, which is IG-88 ship, which they obviously, they made miniatures both of that as well as the Outrider for the X-Wings miniature game. Um, and it's just so cool that, you know, Doug Chang had a very early stamp in Star Wars by designing these ships for you know, for this particular story, which I just find really, really cool. Um, but well, they were, like you said, they were also doing all that design work for the prequels. And because they saw what Coruscant looked like, it made it easier for them to kind of, uh, you know, move forward with what Coruscant would look like in the game because they, you know, Oh, okay. This is, this is the Imperial city. Okay. We're going to take what you have from the prequels and just make it scarier, I guess. (laughs) Um, yeah, Joe, Joe, do you have an Outrider from the X-Wing game? It's an incredible model. 
I don't. I want to get that and the Moldy Crow. Those are my two oh, nice. favorite ships in Star Wars, and I, I have not picked them up yet, but I really... I'm going to eBay right now. Okay, keep talking, guys. <laughs> oh, wait, are, are they, like, still at, like, in retail, or are they, like, discontinued? They're... I feel like you'll be Probably able to find discontinued. them. Probably discontinued. Yeah, but you'll... Yeah, I'm you not, should, seeing, you should not be able seeing to, them on Amazon. Yeah, you should be able to find them, though, pretty cheap, I would imagine, especially just... Even if you want to grab, like, a loose one. Um, at like, least one will be cheap. Yeah, because I played X-Wing briefly. Uh, I was terrible at it, but I loved the model. So I, I saved my Millennium Falcon. $42 now. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-owned $15. There we there go. You go. There it is. Because, um, Greg, you have a, price you can army build. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Greg, you have a few of those X-Wing model ships, right? I do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of our mutual friends quit the game and, and tried to get me interested in playing. But same thing. I, I it, The game didn't really work for me, but the models are incredible. I actually have the Moldy Crow I bought at Barnes & Noble sometime just because I was just shocked you could find a Moldy Crow anything. Um, and I think I have an E-Wing for the same reason, that it was just shocking. And, uh, and I do have an Outrider as well, um, which was great. Uh, to the point about these toys, I mean, at that time in fandom, it felt like magic that, that you could take something from your imagination and they made a toy of it, right? Mm. You loved the Outrider, so you could buy the goofy three and three, three and three quarter scale one. I loved the micro machines, right? Because there was a lot more variety and, you know, you could see them. And to have, even at the time, it was just so revolutionary to see, like, Luke Skywalker in a different outfit. It's like, what? That's amazing. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, the toys were a big part of Shadows for me. If you're asking why I still think about Shadows, it's probably the toys that lodged it for me. I, and it's same for me, because they, again, just at that point, um, by you know, early '96, I was accumulating some of the other Power of the Force figures, and um, again, I don't mean to blanket statement here, but I think any of us who got into Star Wars at a young age, I feel like playing with the figures was a huge part of you know really fostering that love for these stories and the Shadows toys, and I especially remember getting the Outrider and just just loving the ability to play with that. Um, I, I always found the massive gun on the far end, a little extra, So, but you could pop it off. So a lot of times I did um, because that's not in any of the artwork, right? That the Hildebrand brothers did, you know, you never saw the outrider with this massive gun on the other end of it. Um, but those toys were so fun. I mean, I remember getting the slave one for, for whatever reason, the, uh, I, I never got a lot of the vehicles from the power of the forest line, mainly just cause they were expensive. Um, but I got both the slave one and the outrider from the, the shadows line. Uh, I never got the swoop bike. I, that's something I keep meaning to just like grab off eBay or from a comic store sometime. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, those vehicles were a lot of fun, but so were, uh, so were the action figures the, you know, kind of like you, Greg, I, I loved dash render just cause as a young fan, Han Solo was my favorite. And in a lot of, a lot of ways, dash render was just another Han Solo character. Um, so that figure was a lot of fun. I loved Chewie and his, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the, the bounty hunter. Snuva. Snuva. Thank you. You know, the Snuva disguise, Luke in the, you know, the Imperial disguise. Uh, those figures were so fun, uh, to, to kind of add to the collection. Um, I don't, any particular ones stand out to either of you? Any, I'm sorry. Any particular what stand out? The the action figures from Shadows. 
Oh man, yeah. Honestly, the swoop that was yeah. I was gushing about it before. I actually I had to buy a second Dash Rendar figure because um, I put mine on the swoop bike and like I like forced him on there. So when you took him off, his legs were like all like wide and weird. Um, so I was like, okay, th- this is my swoop bike riding Dash Rendar, and then this is my other boots on the ground Dash Rendar. Um, <laughs> yeah, the swoop for sure. <laughs> What about you, Grace? Um, I, you know, I really liked Dash. The way the gun was like uh, on a little robot arm, almost like Mayfield, I guess, from Mm. Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, But that was was super cool to me. You knew from the video game it was a jetpack, even though the toy, it doesn't look at all like a jetpack. So I would would play that with my cousins. Um, And I will say, so I keep all my power of the Force 2 and anything loose modern I have in a big trunk and, and I bust it out for my five-year-old sometimes. He loves the Luke in um, Imperial uh, is Imperial Guard outfit. Uh, impor- that- uh, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chorus, I think Coruscant Guard, maybe? Yeah, Coruscant yeah. Guard, yeah. 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 So he had, that's a character called X-Spy in his play, and it's he's always front and center in whatever adventure he's doing with whichever ships he's playing with. It's it's always X-Spy in the U-Wing, X-Spy in the, in, on the swoop bike or whatever. So, um, so that one's made me think more fondly of that particular one, which never really stood out to me, but uh, was great. I also, he recently picked up the two blue uh, shield things, Things that Shizor came with and was like, Daddy, what are these? And I'm like, I really don't know at all myself what these are. They're some kind of weapon. Like, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I love that that Shizor... So, so, yeah, so that came with the single figure, but the, the battle pack between Darth Vader and Shizor... Shizor came with, like, a long metal debris pole to fight Darth Vader with. Like, good luck, man. <laughs> they, they never fight. They, 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 I mean, you know, what happens at the end happens, but, like, they never, there's no combat. So it's just funny yeah, that yeah. that two-pack exists. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have lasted long had they fought. Um, so, well, so Shizor is obviously a uniquely new character for this particular story. I mean, I... I, I it's pretty much him and Dash. They're the two big, you know, new characters. I mean, you have some side characters for sure, but they're the big ones. And I would say, you know, 25 years later, the one thing that that seems really odd to me about the story is the whole, like, Sheezer with his pheromones and the ability to just attract any female he wants and that whole little story arc with Leia. Um I just find it very odd and very out of place 25 years later. Now, granted, when I read that early on, it was just like, okay, whatever. Like, he's trying to seduce Leia. Like, neat. Um, but apparently, and this was... Uh, neat. Neat. <laughs> neat. <laughs> See, that's the difference between a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. I thought it was really neat. <laughs> So uh, apparently the reason Steve Perry chose to kind of put that in there um, and and I don't remember again, I don't remember reading this five years ago. So I was glad to kind of revisit the the secrets uh, book and Steve Perry wanted to kind of call into question, you know, he wanted to give Leia the temptation of essentially cheating on Han. But in his particular understanding of Leia as a, you know, a very strong-willed character, there's no, re- there's no way she would do that. That's just not her style. So he kind of wrote in this whole idea of Sheezer having these pheromones because the only way you could get Leia to even consider 
some sort of act of betrayal was to essentially drug her. You know, I mean, and it's not literally uh, like she gets a drug in her drink or something, but it's it's something that has to pollute her physiology in order to make right. that even happen. So, you know, reading that like made me a little less harsh on it because it's like, OK, like you wanted to bring in this temptation for Leia and you respect the character so much that you had to come up with a reason for this to possibly even happen. Um, and, you know, it, it, that particular part of uh, the, the making of, if you will, kind of reminded me a little bit of what Ryan Johnson did when he started writing Last Jedi, which was, you know, he, he famously said, you know, I, I essentially wrote down the names of all these characters and thought about what would be the hardest challenge they could face. And while Steve Perry doesn't use that, you know, you know that same language, I feel like he was trying to do that with the, the characters of Star Wars um, in his stories. You know, what what is it that would really be an impediment to Leia? What would really challenge Luke? What would really challenge Vader? And um, and that's how we kind of came up with these plot devices. You know, for Luke, it was really, uh, you know, it, how do I be a Jedi and is Darth Vader my father? For Leia, it's um, can I be, can I be, can I be loyal to a person even more than I am to my cause? And for Vader, it's, uh, you know, what do I do about my son? What does he really mean to me? And getting under his skin and and what can he accomplish with Luke? Because one of my favorite parts of this story is we get the there's a couple scenes where Vader's in his meditation chamber, essentially sitting there naked, right? So he doesn't have any of the armor on. And then he opens the chamber to breathe normal air. And if he's concentrating on his hatred and he's really channeling the dark side, he's able to do it. But as soon as he he gets, it's like in the book, it's like he feels a level of elation and immediately can't breathe. And Vader realizes I must hold on to the dark. Um, and, and Shadows really establishes this story beat that, um, in an interesting way, Vader is a dark side addict more than he is a Sith. Um, and I think this is a really neat question to ask, um, you know, 25 years later is, uh, was Darth Vader truly a Sith Lord or was he just addicted to the dark side because he saw it as a way of accomplishing something else? How does all that stuff sit with, with the two of you? You know, this, this Darth Vader mythos building of, him ultimately trying to be free of his armor. What did you, what do you two feel like about that story beat? Greg, why don't you take it first? Sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, you know, it is a really interesting one. I, and I like that question. Again, I'm just thinking about how much more we know about Vader now, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to imagine what that story beat felt like in 96 when you understood there was somebody named Anakin in there, but you didn't really get it. You didn't think yeah. about it the way we think about it today after the prequels and and all of that. Um, but kind of looking at it today, you know, I, I think one of the things that a lot of fans struggle with about Anakin's fall is that it seems really quick. Um, and a lot of, you know, modern comics and some modern novels, or I guess a lot of those are legends now, um, have tried to kind of work through that time period right after Revenge of the Sith as he's trying to, he's kind of like buying in. And I think you're right that that if we're going to believe his turn in Return of the Jedi, he can't go so, so, so dark, right? Um, and so this maybe helps us think about that at a little bit at this point, right? That, oh, it's not that he's super evil deep to his core. There is a good man here. Um, it's just that he likes the power. He likes what the power gets him and where he's 
what he's able to achieve from that. Um, and, and to that end, Shadows is a really unique Vader story in that he's struggling. And I think they've done this a few times since now. But, you know, he's not into the politics of it all. And Shizor seems to be able to kind of stymie him, which was a very different way to see Darth Vader in 1996. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's solid, right? And now that you mention it, um, you know, it really was kind of a product of the time, I guess, where we only had what we had about Darth Vader. We only had whatever our limited understanding was about the character. Like you said, you know, Anakin's in there somewhere. So how how bad is he if Luke is able to sense it this, this whole time? Like, no, they're still good at him. Like, I felt it. He felt it in Empire. So, um, I mean, Carl, I guess to answer your question, is Darth Vader really a Sith Lord? Yes, I think, because, you know, even though at that point our understanding, uh, understanding of Darth Vader was, you know, Anakin's in there somewhere, the Sith always just want more, right? Like, mm. the Sith always want more of what they can't have or what they don't have. And Vader wanted to, in Shadows of the Empire, he wanted to get rid of the Emperor... He wanted Luke by his side, you know, he had that, you know, I want to breathe outside my helmet moment. Like I, I want all these things I don't have and I'm just going to hate everything <laughs> until I get whatever I can get and improve things. However, I can improve things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in that regard, he definitely fits the bill. Also, a lot of murder. So probably. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say he, he qualifies. He's definitely a unique one. Um, but I think there's enough check marks on Darth Vader that we could comfortably say, yeah, he's, he's a Sith Lord. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, the current comics are also in this period now, right? I think as of the beginning of 2020, they all reset to move to after Empire Strikes Back. And it's really interesting to to read how they're doing Vader at this moment um, and how they're kind of recreating some of those struggles, like clearly learning that he has a son and having now understood that fully Vader is unsettled and doesn't know what he wants. Um, And the Darth Vader comic has been very much about like, well, how is the emperor going to test him to make sure he stays loyal to the emperor? Um, and I, I think, you know, thematically that's linked to, to the Emperor positioning Shizor in this this book, right? Um, to try to keep testing Vader, keep improving Vader. Um, and also, you know, if the time comes, just ditch him. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting at the time to see Vader vulnerable with this situation and dealing with, you know, this essentially a rival with Shizor, right? That he can't just walk up to him and stab him because the emperor favors she's like maybe not favors him over vader but like you know he has a play to part uh, a part to play in the emperor's plans so you know at the end it goes the way that it goes for she's but at the same time it was weird and cool to see vader kind of like what am i gonna do about this guy he's undermining me at every turn um especially right away when she's learns that oh um which I also thought it was funny because when I was reading rereading the book, I was like, "Oh, he knows that Vader is is Anakin, so he knows that Skywalker's is." Su-. But I remember thinking, like, "Oh, I guess it's common knowledge at this point that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker." But I don't know if that was a, a matter of like more people knew in that old canon, or um, 
if it was just one of those things where because even that in that same scene, Sheezer's talking about his spies and all the like intel that he has on everything and you know um so I don't know if that was just kind of buried information that he somehow dug up or or what. But yeah, I don't know. I mean I feel like it was cool to see this, but it's also I feel like it's also been done to death since then. Mm-hmm. Um but this was definitely the the first unique way, at least in my opinion, that I was I'm aware of, um, to see Vader in this weird new light. That's a yeah, that's a great point because you know, as you were saying, Greg, uh, the the newer Marvel line has done done a lot with, and and, and I'm I'm just speaking from just understanding what they're doing with the stories. I obviously have not read most of these stories, and I know this is where I'd have to to um you know shut up and listen to to you who's actually read these stories but uh it does seem like a very common theme and i i remember this specifically though from the lords of the sith novel which is part of the new canon um a big theme for a lot of the post revenge of the sith stories is the emperor essentially testing vader right testing his loyalty testing what he's capable of and i feel like shadows is one of the first stories though to ever really do that so shezer exists mainly as a plaything for the emperor. Like Sheezer really thinks he's going to be able to pull all this off. But we obviously know like oh he's a you know he's a doomed fool here. <laughs> like he's not going to accomplish what he thinks he's going to. Um but it is an interesting type of test for Vader because um as I was reading it this time and it's right it's it's hard to really remember exactly what I was thinking and feeling in 96 because that was so long ago. Um but it's hard to not think about all the things we know about Anakin and Vader today and specifically thinking about some of those inner inner monologue moments for Vader when he's really frustrated that he has to play this whole political conniving game because of Sheezer. It really made me think of Anakin from the Clone Wars cartoon, like Anakin who really just has no patience for the politics and the Senate, you know, um, as, as he kind of navigates the story. It felt even truer to me that even Vader here, you know, all these years later still finds that game very frustrating and exhausting. Um, and it's it's an interesting type of villain to pit Vader against. And to me, a, a, a modern movie that reminds me of that exactly is in the Dark Knight, right? With the Joker, Batman can kind of beat the hell out of anybody. You know, no one can match his brawn until we get to Bane, of course. But the Joker is this totally different kind of villain who tests his metal, tests his, you know, uh, his faithfulness to to his code. Um, I feel like Sheezer kind of provides that type of foil for Vader. You know, he knows he doesn't stand a chance against Vader toe to toe, even with his metal. Uh, rod that he, his action figure got, <laughs> or or in his yeah. you know his his single release action figure with those purple fans. I don't know what those are. Um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I I found Sheezer to be an interesting foil for Vader. But I'll say this: um, I've always enjoyed what Sheezer has done for Vader's storyline more than I enjoyed Sheezer as a character. If that makes sense. Um, curious what the two of you think about Sheezer as, as a villain character, you know, did he work for you then? Does he still work for you now? Uh, what do you feel like he provided for this particular story? I'll start with you, Greg. Oh, you're, oh, I was going to say Joe was first this time. Oh, sorry, I took yeah. the last one. Yeah, okay. Joe, <laughs> Joe, go. All right, so grab so your, who's up first? You are grab your purple fans. Let All right, I got him. Um, yeah, I mean, really, I'm I'm kind of with you, Carl, where he was really just kind of there to die, right? Like, <laughs> he was there to be a challenge to Vader. That was his purpose, and he served his purpose well, and then that was it. Um, especially, like, after he was trying to essentially rape 
Princess Leia, like, because mm. it's not like consent was a thing. Um, mm. Yeah, at that point, you're just like, no, this guy's got to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I mean, I like him as a villain. Um, I like the challenges that he presented Vader with. I like that he was smart. Mm. I like that he wasn't just a guy who came in and was really strong and beat everybody up. I like that he had, you know, this... First of all, he had usefulness to the Empire. He had a huge amount of intel, so he was always a couple steps ahead of Vader. I like that he was a threat to not only Vader, but the Rebels. And, you know, because of him in that final battle over Coruscant, it was really kind of in a weird way, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the Rebellion and the Empire were both fighting against Shizor, and it was just like this strange... Um, just like turn of events, like whoa, they're kind of, sort of, almost working together. Maybe not, maybe not really. Maybe that's not what it, what was intended. But um, it just really his his addition really kind of spun everything on its head, just because of how different a villain he was for Star Wars at that time. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where where do you fall with the 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 failing? Uh, mastermind greg <laughs> um i mean i think we do have to just acknowledge how terrible that scene with leia is yeah. to <laughs> modern like I, yeah it's like it's it's cliche to mention it but also you can't not mention it exactly as joe did it's like yeah it's it's really problematic especially thinking about modern consent um in, you know knowledge and such um so you know, it's funny because I would say he's kind of forgettable and like, uh, he doesn't really matter and I didn't care that much. But then um, in season seven of The Clone Wars, was it season seven where there's a shot where there's a black sun, Faleen, and it could be Shizor and like we all lost our minds? Um, I was right there. I was like, oh my God, it really could be him. Like he, he exists in canon. Um, it is really interesting that He's similar to Thrawn in a lot of ways. So Thrawn has already been in canon and and is around as this kind of super smart villain. And then we get super smart Shizor, very different kind of intelligence, not a military intelligence, but a political intelligence. Um, But it makes me wonder, like, so is is like intelligence kryptonite to our favorite characters? They're just (laughs) so dumb that that we have to give them smart characters to to fight. Um, yeah, he definitely worked with me at the time. I think the pheromones outside of the problematic scene, you know, it's good to give the, the villain a power that the heroes don't necessarily understand. Like, that's that's good writing, and he, and he serves his purpose. Um, but I, you know, can't say that I would really want to see more adventures with him, or, or w- I don't think he needs to come back to canon, even though I I, I did freak out at that Clone Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the, uh, the Dryden Voss one, too? Where Dryden Voss was like on the right, and then yeah, Aline. I think it was. I think it was. Okay. If it wasn't the same shot, they were very similar style cameos. Okay. I think. I yeah, see. yeah. Well, then obviously, season. Uh, what's the season where Maul p- puts together his early crime syndicates? Uh, is that season I think five? That was five. Yeah, yeah but obviously, five. we see Black Sun with failing leaders there, right? Because <laughs> Savage cuts yeah, all their heads off. <laughs> so they they were not Shizor, though. Right? Yeah, I know. Like none of none of those characters were Shizor. Right, but it was still again like a neat callback to like understanding the story existed. And I and I, I was oh my goodness, it's another Star Wars animated. I can't remember if it's 
Clone Wars or Rebels or Resistance, but there are a group of like kind of scavenger kids that are flying around on a YT, I believe it's a YT twenty four hundred. That was Rebels. Yeah, it's Rebels. The, yeah, the Outrider. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. again see the Outrider there, and also um, you know right around the corner from Shadows, you know at that point they were already developing and working on the special editions. So of course, when we get to a new hope, I mean, when we, we get that expanded scene of, you know, Luke and Ben riding into town, you get that shot of the outrider taking off from Moss Eisley. Um, so, you know, we see some swoop bikes, uh, from, you know, from the video game there in the special edition as well. Um, so in an interesting way, they were, uh, interested in making that story canon um you know it's very clear that that parts of those stories they put into the movie um the asp droid remember the asp droid yeah asp7 yeah so as they're flying in right there's the the floating droid that's laughing at him and he conks him on the head and knocks him down that's the same type of droid that vader uses to practice dueling against in, in the shadows book um so you know you find these really neat things that they chose to run with as they re you know kind of gave us some new footage for the special editions um both of those droids were also enemies in Shizor's palace too oh that's right <laughs> in in the video game yeah yeah. Um, well, and, and then they um, it took all the way until Mandalorian season one, but they canonized Dash Rendar. Oh no, wait, that's Toro Toro Galican. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're essentially the same guy. You could call that guy Dash Rendar if you wanted to, but uh, yeah, um, I think that would have probably pissed off fans, uh, you know, more yeah. than Toro Galican already does, which would be an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> so. Interestingly enough, the we did get a little expanded stuff from a couple Shadows characters. So there was a there was another comic run. Um, I can't remember the name of the comic. Joe, you might remember this, but Evolution: Shadows of the Empire Evolution. Okay, is that the one with Guri? She it sure kinda, is. Yeah, she survives. And then, of course, uh, Joe, you turned me onto this a number of years ago, which is it. I mean, obviously now a Legends novel called Shadow Games. Um, is it Shadow Games? That's yep, title of Shadow it, Games, which is as it's a it's a novel that stars Dash Rendar, um, and it's a really good book. It's a really fun I love story. it. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> I fun love story. That book. Um, it's so cool to see Dash and Han outside of you know the the one scene that we get of them together in the video game. Um, like we really get a sense of, I mean, it really characterizes Dash, right? Like in yeah. in here, you know, Greg, you mentioned it before. He's kind of like. The 90s extreme version of Han Solo, cool guy outfit and everything. But like, he's actually a, a like a decently fleshed out character. You know, he had flaws in Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. Um. So there, there was a little bit of depth to him, but it was you know kind of like a waiting pool. Um. But like, really, we get a real sense of who this character is, what his insecurities are, why he is the way he is, and and. It was just cool to see that rivalry between those two characters build into a friendship. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once he's involved with, you know, helping the rebellion, it, it just makes a little more sense that, oh, yeah, okay, it's it's kind of cool that he wants to help, uh, you know, with with finding Han and everything. So, is yeah. yeah, Shadow Games is awesome. It, it Remind me, is Shadow Games a prequel to Shadows of the Empire or does it take place after? Yes. I thought so. It, no, no, because I mean, obviously, Dash uh, fakes his death 
or right. dies, depending on who you ask. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, which which ending of the video game or which piece of media that you uh, enjoyed? Um, yeah, it was it was it takes place actually it leads right into a new hope because it ends with Han and Chewie being in the cantina at Mos Eisley. That's right. And I know, uh, obviously, this is a spoiler for those who haven't read the book. And, and again, if you enjoyed Dash Rendar in the shadows, I really recommend Shadow Games because it's it's a really well-fleshed-out story for him. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but towards the end of the book, right? Because essentially the plot of the book is he's working security for this famous intergalactic pop star <laughs> kind of going on tour with her, and she's under threat. And towards the end of the story, she essentially joins the rebellion and invites Dash to join, but he refuses um right. and, and not in like an arrogant way but like it, he's got his reasons and it honestly yeah, kind of reminded me it. yeah it, it kind of reminded me the end of of solo right when enfis kind of you know invites han to join this rebellion that he's now mm-hmm. <laughs> literally helped supply and he's like no 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 um it's, it's a very similar beat in, in shadow games when when dash kind of turns down that invitation to, to being more than just a smuggler bounty hunter um, yeah! Wow! Now that you mention it, they ripped off Shadow Games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I kind of want to go reread that, that book. That um, Han and Dash both kind of have that same. No, we're not really interested. And then later on, you know, yeah, what would kind of? I mean, well, to be fair, Dash doesn't really join up. Right. He he right. he does kind of more of the same, and then he fakes his death and goes into hiding. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. So another big part of of the shadows story, um, and again, this is more so explored in the novel than than the other mediums. Um, but I, I'd love to get your input on this from the two of you. Something huge that Vader continually brings up in in his kind of isolated moments throughout the the novel is that he's reflecting on the fact that Luke Skywalker is the most powerful Jedi ever. Um, and and I and, and I feel like shadows might be responsible for really pushing forward this idea that Luke is kind of this uh, Messiah Jedi figure, which obviously once we got the prequel trilogy, you know, it makes it very clear. Anakin was supposed to be the most powerful Jedi ever. Um, And, but a lot of times in shadows, Vader's thinking about like, Oh, I, I was once considered the most powerful, but I believe that my son is the most powerful Jedi ever. Um, And I feel like, as I reread it just, you know, at the start of the month, I feel like I forgot about that story beat. And yet that's something that has been ingrained in me as a Star Wars fan for most of my, you know, fandom. Because um, like you, Joe, I, I kind of really got into Star Wars in, you know, late 94, early 95. So Shadows was right around the corner. So I feel like even on a subconscious level in my mind, Luke has always been the most powerful, the most perfect Jedi. And, you know, uh what do you what do you two think about that? That notion that this story was really trying to push that Luke was this incredibly powerful, possibly most powerful ever force user. Greg, you're up. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds to me like pure legends, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think all of legends was really focused around that idea, both before and after the prequels. Um, the the Grand Master Skywalker, right? Is that the title he yep. takes yep. eventually in in the old canon? Um, and yet, you know, one of my favorite things, and I don't. I don't think this is necessarily canon, but it's it's my head canon at least, is I always love the moment when Obi-Wan lets himself get struck down 
Um, and that's the moment where Anakin starts his march to the light side because he realizes that he didn't have all the answers. He didn't know everything. Obi-Wan held something back and he's, you know, stomping on the cloak to be like, what the fuck? I'm sorry, you're a fan of the joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but, but it's like, what? Like, no way. <laughs> so, um, so I think that resonates with what you're talking about about which is that he is from that moment forward through empire he's kind of lost because he realizes he wasn't as strong as he thought he was and and maybe he wasn't maybe obi-wan was actually stronger than him uh, because he didn't really defeat obi-wan obi-wan let him win and that's that's how he did so it fits in then that that anxiety would be with him in the form of luke okay maybe obi-wan taught him these things he doesn't know they only knew each other for like 45 minutes uh (laughs) but like i think there's there's a way in which whether luke is actually the the strongest jedi ever or not i think vader's being fearful of that is seems accurate to, to Vader in, in that time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think, Joe? Do you remember that particular story beat? I mean, I remember the story beat, but I gotta be honest after what Greg just said, now I'm not sure I remember what the question was. <laughs> what, what, what was the exact question? <laughs> exactly. So how how much did it play out for your understanding of Luke as a character that he was considered to be the most powerful force user in this book? Okay, so was was Luke the most powerful force user? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um I I okay. Now I think I kind of agree with Greg where Vader probably had the fear of that, maybe the fear of his potential. Um because it doesn't really make that much sense to me that Vader would feel that way after he literally dueled Luke with one hand and wiped <laughs> the floor with him. And then right. it's like, he truly is the most powerful Jedi ever. Like, yeah. no, I, th- I think it's, I think he saw potential in him and, you know, really either feared or respected or both what he saw. And that was kind of the moment where he's like, okay, yeah, this kid's going to be a really big deal. I want him to join me and we're, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna paint the town red. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it really, if that really fed into my understanding of Luke as a character, but it definitely kind of set the, um, I guess, I don't know, foreshadows the right word or just, it just set up the really the, the point that, Luke really is going to grow a lot very quickly. And it's kind of like Ghostbusters, right, Carl, where the um, believability from start to finish, um, you know, we start Ghostbusters seeing a scary floating ghost, and by the end of it, our suspension of belief has no problem with the 600-foot walking marshmallow man down the street <laughs> uh, while, while gargoyle ghosts are on the top with the, with the demigod uh, on the top of a roof. Like you set up the building blocks so that you get to this point of believability. And I think this, this does kind of help that, right? Like Mm. it really, it was a moment to be like, okay, yeah, maybe Luke really does have a chance because in just in the last movie, it was, the floor was wiped with him. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, I mean, if anything, it does help that connectivity between the two films. Um, But I mean, there was no lack of that with Shadows of the Empire in general, really everything. But I, Honestly, I really wish that this was like 
the third movie, Return of the Jedi, was the fourth. I would love if this were a film because it's so original trilogy Star Wars, and it just it it fills in that empty gap so well. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question or not. I have yeah, no idea. Did. No, you did. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. was a uh, there was a Twitter game this week where it was if you wake up and you're the head of Lucasfilm, what do you do? Like first thing in the morning. <laughs> that um, well, a bunch of people were saying, like, I would make animated movies of the Legends novel yes. and even oh, call them God. Legends. Like, don't don't worry about cool. canonizing it. Um, Shadows would be perfect for that. Oh, I think you'd get a huge amount of attention. A lot of Disney Plus subscribers. Well, we're oh, all already there. But but throw it right in that vintage section. It would totally work. <laughs> yeah, that's a gr- that. Oh, man, that would be really fun. Um, now I'm sad it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, just speaking of Luke in this story, um, we also get, uh, him building his lightsaber. Right. Uh, and that was something, you know, Steve Perry says he was really excited to, to be able to tell that part of the story, you know, empire ends. Luke doesn't not only not have a hand, but he doesn't have a lightsaber anymore. And then return of the Jedi, he has one. So he was really looking forward to exploring him building that. And for him, he understood that the only way he'd be able to find the knowledge to do that would be to return to Ben's hut, you know, and find some sort of information there. Um, and of course, you know, Ben has basically an, <laughs> you know, an instruction guide building lightsabers 101 that Luke is able to do. And of course, like, you know, we don't obviously in 96 have any sort of understanding of kyber crystals as being what powers Jedi's lightsaber. Kyber crystals were a thing. I mean, that they were introduced all the way back in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Um, but they weren't introduced as what power to Jedi's lightsaber. So you have Luke kind of cooking. You know, he's got this furnace going where he's cooking to cooking this crystal to make his lightsaber, um, which, you know, that's something, too, that has always stood out to me. It's like, ah, oh, it's really cool that we got to see Luke make his lightsaber. Um, I mean, my new headcanon is that Luke's lightsaber, I feel like part of the story could be true. Like Luke probably did go back to Ben's hut. And in my headcanon, he found Qui-Gon's lightsaber hilt and took the the kyber crystal from Qui-Gon. So in my mind forever, it will be Luke's green lightsaber is powered by (laughs) Qui-Gon's kyber crystal. Really cool. I actually really like that. Because when you think about it, like why would Obi-Wan have a green lightsaber crystal? That's weird. That's a great point. I really love that. That, I feel like that'd make a really fun, even just like comic story. Um, well, they're closing in on it, so so there's oh, potential there. He's oh, currently cool. wielding a yellow lightsaber in the comics. Oh, um, interesting. Kind of for secure, circuitous reasons, but it does make the original action figure accurate, which is kind of cool. Um, I was just going to add that I'm sitting here staring at my Obi-Wan Mythos statue from mm. from Sideshow, and it definitely has Qui-Gon's lightsaber on the hilt, so That's or right. on his hip, uh, on his belt. So I think I think there's something to your theory. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm not the first person to who've, who's thought that, but... Um... I've always but you are the sexiest. Hey, all right. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only Guri who put it forward. <laughs> um, I bet no one else who's ever had a Hayden Christensen perm has ever thought of that theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so uh, let me think. What uh, I think that's kind of um, – yeah, those were the big things I wanted to, to kind of bring up. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's a huge thing that we've not really talked about yet, and I think again worth noting: they go to Coruscant. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like that's yeah. not nothing. You know, it, it when you when I watched Return of the Jedi after reading this book, 
it never quite connected to me of like, all right, wait, they were in the Imperial capital and now they're here. Mm. Like it just seemed so odd to me that they go to Coruscant. That said, it's obviously really fun. Um, and I think one of the things I love Shadow's for doing is it, it really continued like in the vein you're speaking of Joe, the, it, the one of the primary themes of the original trilogy is that when this group of individuals works together, there's nothing they can't accomplish, right? Like to me, that's how I've always interpreted and really loved the Jabba sequence is when Luke, Leia and Lando and Chewie, and they're all working together, nothing can keep them down. And I felt like that, that, that trope worked really well in shadows. Like they could even go to the Imperial capital and get some stuff done because they work together. Um, but it is a bit of a bombastic move to go to Coruscant. Um, what, did, what do you guys think about this this whole notion that they're on the Imperial capital world, um, just kind of putzing around to, to try to rescue Leia? I, I love that sequence. Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, we, we mentioned how problematic the stuff with Leia and Shizor is, but I mean, really, the the biggest problem I have with it, other than the obvious things, is that man, Leia's captured again. Yeah, and man, we gotta go save Leia again. Leia is awesome. Like she should, but like that's the thing, right? We have Leia sitting in a cell in A New Hope, and Han and Luke are disguised as stormtroopers, and eventually make their way to her and get her out. But in this one, everybody who goes to get her, it's almost like a task force. Like you said before, Carl, like they are kicking butt on their way there. And not only are they kicking butt, Leia gets out. Leia mm. like gives Gurai a droid concussion to get out <laughs> of her set. Like, so everybody, we see this huge difference, even though there's a lot of things that mirror the, the rescue in A New Hope, where they have to go to the heart of the Empire in A New Hope. It's the Death Star. Now it's Coruscant. Like, Everything is just kind of like everybody's grown since then. Everybody's capable. Like we've seen the difference between them, right? And it's kind of this cool thing where um, I always like the difference in Return of the Jedi, uh, where Luke is like when Luke shows up, he's all of a sudden this huge badass. That last time we saw him, he got his butt kicked, but all these things happened to him between then, and now he's a capable character. Like we see him being that capable character, and like that weird transition from that helpless kid who doesn't have a lightsaber or a hand. And now he's, he's like, no, I got to take control of my life. These are, I have to start doing things. I can't let things happen to me. I have to take control of the situation. And I, I don't know what it is. I just love the fact that they go to the heart of the empire right from under the emperor's nose. They get Leia, they get out of there, they escape. It's just, I don't know. Like it is definitely like this bombastic, you know, almost obnoxious sequence like this, they would be dead. There's no way this would, this would work, but it does. And it's yeah. like you said, it's because they're together and, you know, they've all grown so much and they, they've, they're just doing what they have to do. They're all so focused and, and they're a team. And I, I love the moment, um, in the scene where Luke is on his way. I think they like just left the sewers and they're in the palace. And Luke and Leia share that telekinetic, like, conversation. Yeah. Where Luke's like, I'm coming for you. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a Star Wars moment. I was like, oh, I love <laughs> this. It's such a great <laughs> moment. And I don't, I don't know, man. I love that sequence. Also, um, that, that was the start of part six, the, the sixth issue of the comic book. 
And that was actually the first one that I got because the other ones weren't like around anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the first one. I was like, oh, Shadow of the Empire, they made a comic book? So I picked <laughs> up the comic and it starts out with them in the sewers and it's that whole sequence. And I think that was my very first Star Wars comic book too, uh, if I remember correctly. I eventually got the trade paperback with everything. Yeah. But um, I, because of that sequence and seeing Coruscant and what like a cool sequence it was and you know playing it in the video game and everything, I played with my action figures nonstop reenacting that scene because I had Leia in the Bausch, um, you know, the, in the Bausch disguise. I had Snooba Chewie. I had, you know, Return of the Jedi Luke. It, it had always annoyed me that his hand had the glove on. I was like, oh, man. But I gave him, uh, like, the plastic part of Ponda Baba's jacket that came off, so it looked like Luke had the Shadows of the Empire <laughs> vest on. Um hey. And obviously Dash Rando. So, and, and I had a Lando figure. There was no Stormtrooper disguised Lando. Um, but yeah, I, th- that sequence fueled my Star Wars action figure imagination. Mm. Can I really quick, because I'm so glad no. you brought the scene up. <laughs> no. I, I, and, and I'm sorry, I don't Greg, care I, if it's I, your I, show, Carl. No. Yeah. I, I don't mean to like cut you <laughs> off, Greg, because I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that whole Coruscant stuff. But I just want to read this section from the book because it is a really big part of the book um, when Luke and Leia kind of have this, you know, force bond moment. And, and again, yeah, right, this it. is following the whole, you know, scene between the two of them on, on Cloud City. Um, it's neat to see. To me, this is almost like an early version of the Force Dyad, if you will, to use you know Rise of Skywalker language. Um, but uh, this now comes- you're out of line. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, this is on page two sixty eight of the hardback novel, and it says there was a calmness about Luke she hadn't felt before. He had grown stronger. His control of the Force was better. She was afraid for him, and at the same time, heartened at the connection. The sense of his confidence was very powerful. Before, when she'd felt him touch her this way, it had been when she'd been injured, when Vader was on the brink of destroying him. But now, now he felt strong, in control, potent. Maybe he could rescue her. Maybe they would survive all this somehow. Leia. She smiled. Luke, I'm here. Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, smiled. I love this because at this point in the novel is where they declare Luke Jedi Knight. It's his ability to connect to her for some reason that confirms on him the level of Jedi Knight. <laughs> um, what, what do you think of that, Greg? What do you think? Of, what did you think of that portion of the story where, uh, you know, Luke shows up, they have this connection. And this is the point where Luke is declared to be a Jedi Knight. Um, one of my favorite things in across all Star Wars now is I remember uh, when you were in your dark times on The Last Jedi, you, you said, like, well, why would Luke do blank? And I said, mm. the only thing that ever motivates Luke is Leia. And I still find this to be true across basically all of Star Wars, right? That it's always Leia that gets him to change who he is or to, to change something there. And so I, I then really like now fitting this moment into that theory as well, right? That he needs to step up, uh, as Joe said, he needs to go from getting, uh, you know, his clock clean to becoming the badass who enters and starts strangling pigs in the <laughs> start of Return of the Jedi. And we're going to do that by showing that it's Leia that motivates him, that causes him to grow and stretch. And and it's, you know, it's such a beautiful part of um, 
the the saga as it now exists but um i don't know that when shadows came out anybody was thinking that much about the two of them we were still in the like but they kissed kind of part of their their uh uh you know relationship their their siblinghood and and so on so um yeah i i can't add anything more eloquent than what joe said i think it's it's pure star wars um in the video game you know Running through a sewer was well established in Star Wars video games by that point, and yet it was it was still fresh and exciting, and, and totally uh, I'm there for it still, I'm, and I want to run upstairs and play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would love a remake of that game because I mean I love it. It didn't help hold up very well, but yeah, I I was hopeful actually when when. I was thinking about Shadows last night. I pulled up the Switch store because so many of those have gotten at least a release on Switch. Yeah. I was hopeful that it would be there, but I, maybe someday it could happen. <laughs> when I was first starting to put together some of my you know, n- notes and thoughts for the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, it was right after I'd finished rereading the novel, um, I – you know, took a picture and put it up on our on our Instagram of the the video game. And Greg quickly texted me, and he's like, "Oh, have fun playing the game." I was like, "I'm just watching a YouTube stream of it because <laughs> I, don't, I don't have access to it." And honestly, it was probably the only way I could enjoy. It. I was so bad at it. I remember Joe. This was years ago. I was down visiting you, and you had it on Steam on your computer, and you had configured your controller to basically just be like a Super Nintendo game. And I, I, I think it was. GOG, I have a guy. I don't. I don't know what GOG actually is, but it wasn't Steam. But oh, okay. yeah, they let you. They let you reconfigure the controls to be more like modern. Yeah, and I still was terrible. So, <laughs> 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 did either of you beat the? I mean, Joe, I know you did. Uh, Greg, did you? Did you play the game back when it came out? And did you beat it? Yeah, I think I spent like three weeks just trying to take down the damn Walker on Hoth, and once I got through that, I. I I eventually beat it. Uh, the best level by far still is the train level. Uh, mm. The opening of Jedi Fallen Order is just enough like that level that I got really, really excited uh, when I played it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, All I have to say about that is Wampa Stampa. If you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know... I kind of want to. Um, I'm gonna. I want to ask you both a question, kind of similar to something I asked a little earlier uh, in the evening. Um, but again, they they point out in, in in the secrets of the shadows book, you know, that all of the creators of of this particular story were well aware that each medium broached per- particular scenes a bit differently, you know, and most notably for them was the swoop chase, you know, in the video game, the swoop gang never even makes it out to Ben's hut because dash kills them all before they get there. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, in the comic, uh, it, the comic plays out very similar to the novel, although there's an extra character in the comic. Cause in the comic Vader has this personal spy jinx, I believe is his name. Um, mm. Uh, is that right, Jinx? I, I, Jix. I don't Jix, think there's an yeah. end. All right. Jix. Okay, Jix. Oh, I'm just glad it's not Jizz. Um, then, <laughs> Liz, big Jizz is the swoop. <laughs> yeah, that's guy. right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jizz is the style of music, too, that they play. So um, <laughs> Star Wars is super sexual. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, right, you have you know a sequence like that that plays out differently across all three mediums. And what they talk about, though, um, in Secrets is the fact that it didn't really matter. It's, you know, the point of all of that is that 
you know, it's establishing that there was a swoop bike gang sent after Luke. That's the truth, quote unquote, of the story. Right. So I, I kind of just want to like, you know, I'm again kind of going back to that that question of, uh, you know, what does it mean to be canon? And uh, several weeks ago, Greg, I know I'm pretty sure I saw it because you retweeted it. But Jordan Mason, I believe, is his name, um, who just a very seems to be a very bright individual uh, specifically about Star Wars storytelling and talked a lot about. And again, he was kind of responding to people, you know, being whiny babies about the whole Bad Batch and how it kind of, you know, gave the canon origin story a little bit of a different angle um, and kind of pointed out that what, you know, mythological canon really means right that it's it's ultimately about Kanan's master was killed in front of him and he escaped like it doesn't the details don't really matter um and i feel like the creators of shadows had that same feeling of like all right here's the speeder you know there's a swoop bike chase with a gang that's sent after luke all right tell it however you want does did that you know so i'm 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 asking specifically and broadly here so specifically with the shadow story did that bother you and even more broadly do you think it matters when these things because they're going to probably keep happening in star wars stories when things like this you know the details of certain events might not be fully in line do you find that problematic or is it no it is what it is um so i don't know who we're starting with this time i can't remember so i think greg's up okay greg (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, uh, so I did really like that point Jordan made. It was it was Jordan, um, and you know, for me, it really resonates since I study literature. You know, when you look at ancient myth, there were there were different um, different versions of every story, right? And so, yes, we receive a certain version of the Odyssey, for example, and within that, there are all these different myths that circulated, and sometimes the the king dies from a poisoned goblet and other times somebody kills him while he's in the bath or what, what have you. Um, and it doesn't matter because the king dies and the individual story gets retold however the, the teller needs it to. Um, so I think that that's a really healthy way to look at Star Wars. Um, I, I, I Again, I, I think Lucasfilm brought this on themselves by saying everything counts equally when they never really meant that, right? Mm. They always meant we will change it as we need to to tell the best story. Um, and I think, you know, when it came to Shadows, I, it was so was different because there wasn't an internet for everybody to jump on and be like no i think it's this way no i think it's this way and they fight about it um forever um i so my my most popular tweet this week is i was pointing out this thing i noticed in return of the jedi for the first time and the comments became a fight about whether captain rex is on endor and it was (laughs) like crazy how vitriolic the attacks got and and i never weighed in like it you know it's interesting to me it's a cool question uh, but like these people like it, it ended up at like 1400 likes as people just fought on and every time i logged on it was like 100 notifications and it was just a reminder to me that for some people that has to be rex because they love rex so much and rex means something different to them than he does to me because you know i think particularly people who grew up on the clone wars cartoon have a very different relationship with rex than i do um and then for other people who want to just be a know-it-all and say nope it's nick sant i believe is the character's name and and it here here are five wikipedia articles that confirm it well here are three interviews with dave filoni that say the other well here are two more recent guidebooks and and on and on and on and on um that's not the that's not what i love about star wars 
I say as the guy whose name is Ion Cannon. Um, but I would just rather be told a cool story and live in that story in the moment. And if the details have to change, then that's fine, right? Um, I I think, you know, being more present in the story you're, you're experiencing is always a good thing. And, you know, you get to pick. You get to decide your headcanon about which way it is and whether Rex was there or not. Mm. Yeah, great point. Uh, where do you, where do you fall on that stuff, Joe? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree for the most part. Um, I, I remember as a kid, I picked up on all of those inconsistencies, but when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, that's weird. And then you move on with your life, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. You don't care. Oh, you make 57 YouTube videos. Yeah, you don't have to <laughs> pick it apart and like make a big deal out of it. Like, yeah. you know, we knew that this was a thing. But it's like, oh, okay, but Shadows of the Empire, this is awesome. This is, you know, you're, you're so much more appreciative as a kid. Like, oh, I got a, a Star Wars video game and there's also a comic book and there's trading cards. Like now that's like, okay, yeah, sure. That's, that's another Star Wars thing. But back then it was a big deal. And... Even even now, I mean, I I would be lying if I said there weren't things in Star Wars that I find myself, um, I guess, criticizing or picking apart or whatever. Um, but it's really just because I I don't know. I feel like I've seen how the donuts get made, right? So like I've had my 11 years in this industry and I kind of see how a lot of these things are made at the same time. And sometimes I feel like, okay, well that could have been done better. Uh, I, I think this could have been tighter here, but at the same time, I also really understand that shadows of the empire. was a huge project, right? It wasn't just Lucasfilm working on it. It was dark horse. It was LucasArts. There were all these companies that were subcontracted. It was, it was the Hildebrandt brothers. It was, Kenner at the time before it was Hasbro, like all these people are scrambling and doing the best they can with what they have and doing their best to coordinate. But like stuff's going to fall on cracks. Like unless this is absolutely in stone, here's what the story is. There's going to be inconsistencies. That's just how it goes when everybody's working on something at the same time and not everybody has the same information or whatever. It's just, it's, it's going to happen. So, and it's not a big deal. It's exactly the way Greg said it. This is fiction, right? <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. None of this really happened. You get to pick what you like, and you can pretend the rest didn't happen if that makes you sleep easier at night. Whatever, whatever works. And it's kind of the same thing about the old expanded universe. As much as we love Shadows of the Empire, I'm not upset that they're now working in this new you know, in the new canon during this timeline and they're doing whatever they're doing that's not Shadows of the Empire. Because you know what? It doesn't negate, you know, the experience that you had. You still enjoyed it. Lucasfilm isn't going to come to your house and say, give me all your Shadows of the Empire stuff. <laughs> like, that's it. I don't care that you paid for it. We're, we're going <laughs> to, you know, burn yeah. it in a trash can fire in front of you and you have to watch the whole... Like, no, you still you still felt what you felt... And you can go back and experience it whenever you want. Like none of none of this matters. None of this stuff matters. <laughs> the connection that you had is what matters. And if you still love it, you still love it. And if you don't, okay, you know, I feel sorry for you that you don't love just because you don't love what they're doing now. That it, you're letting it diminish the connection that you had with these other things. But 
no, Carl, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I've been doing a, a monthly podcast with Mike Cohen, which I know you both know who he is. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually we're recording our Bad Batch episode like two hours from now for for the week. Yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, well, anyway, he and I were having a conversation in our last podcast Um uh, I didn't get to say as much as I want, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but we were looking at kind of this topic of like, what is canon? What does truth mean? You know, and and part of the bent of this podcast we're doing is kind of looking at like religious and spiritual language too. And I find it interesting that here in the states, which is a very Protestant heavy culture, uh, whether or not you're a practicing Protestant Christian, it doesn't matter. But it's so in like kind of just in the subconscious of our culture that a lot of American evangelical Protestantism is, and this is to me what's dangerous about it, is it's so literal. Um, And I feel like in a weird way that even translates into the way we enjoy media, right? So for the folks that like flew off the handle at Bad Batch for having a slightly different, uh, you know, Order 66 story for Kanan and uh, uh, Depa Balaba, you know, it's like, all right, does it really like, like you're saying, Joe, does it, it doesn't matter, right? Like you still get to enjoy the story. I mean, now if they totally like did something new where it's like, oh, he, her, you know, Depa Balaba wasn't killed by the clones. Yeah. I could see like being upset about that. Um, but they didn't change the truth of that story. And I just, I find it really interesting that here in this sometimes overly literal culture, people get really upset about the way we choose to tell stories and take them a little too literally and often to their own detriment, right? Cause it, it prevents you from learning new truths through, through these media. Um, and you know, I feel like it's just, it's even awesome that even as they conceived shadows in 96, they were okay. The different writers and creators of the different mediums that were just like, oh, I'm going to tell this, this part of the story a little differently. Okay. No big deal. Right? Like it wasn't a problem at all. And it's just interesting uh, uh, how much we've strayed from that, sadly. Um, so yeah, bummer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real. Um, but uh, the religion uh, connection is a good one too. It's better than my Odyssey example, right? There's literally four gospels. There are four versions yeah. of the story, and the details change, but the message doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which one is canon, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you know, it's 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 fun to think about, like. Again, you know, a story like Shadows for for any of us that were really into it. And obviously all three of us were relatively young when we got into it. We didn't care about any of those disparities. Um, and it's sad to say that, like, I don't I don't know if we would have been as relaxed about I mean, speaking for myself, I don't want to speak for the two of you. But, um, you know, it seems like weirdly enough, as we some of us grow up, we we kind of need the more uh, rigid storytelling that. That isn't really <laughs> really has never been the case for mythology um, or for religious storytelling. Um, so interestingly enough, even early on, shadows didn't care about that sort of stuff. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I kind of got out all the big the big things that really stuck out to me in this five years later revisiting of this great story. Um, is there anything that either of you wanted to bring up that? you know, that we haven't touched on yet. Cause you know, obviously there's obviously so much, but if there's anything big kind of looming for the two of you, as you were 
thinking about shadows or replaying or revisiting any of the stories that we haven't touched on yet. I'd, I'd love to hear it. I've got a little anecdote, Greg, if you don't mind. I don't know if you have anything on deck. Um, Cool. And uh, it was actually a year after we recorded last time because it was 2017. Um, So I had gotten into the art show for the first time. It was a big deal for me at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, I got my very first Star Wars print that I ever got to do. It was a very, very satisfying, emotional weekend. Everybody was so supportive. And I got a gift from Mr. Carl LeClaire, which was very touching to me, and I still have and regularly look at. Um, he actually picked up from one of the vendors at Celebration the full set of the Hildebrandt uh, Shadows of the Empire trading cards as, like, a congratulations gift to me. And I remember having so much trouble finding those cards as a kid so I only had like maybe two or three packs because, you know, you're out with your mom and, oh, can I get a pack of cards? Yes, just one pack. So when we saw them, I got them, but there were never that many. And it was just something that I never really went back to. And I love that set so much. I, I have them in a binder, you know, with the, the, the nine, the, the three by three plastic sheets, um, so any any time I have to sit down and think up uh, what I want to do for Star Wars Celebration, the first thing I pull out is that binder, and I go through every single one of those cards, and just to say, like, man, the, the Hildebrandt brothers are so, like, incredible with their composition and their color and everything, and I, and I just, like, feel inspired to figure out what my next print is going to be for Celebration, or at least my concept is going to be for it. Um and I just wanted to thank Carl for that because that was since the last time. And it's something that is very important to me. And since celebration is coming again, I will be breaking the binder out once more to get my, uh, my usual inspiration juices flowing. And, uh, I'm excited. I'm actually holding off until it's time to work on them, but <laughs> I, I really wanted to look at them for today, but I was like, nope. I gotta wait. This is my tradition now. This is this. I gotta hold up. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you to Carl for that because uh, it's a big deal, and it, it 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 you don't realize it, but it impacted my life and and my career. Um, but as small of a gesture as it was, um, it's it's had a positive impact on my life, just like you and just like shadows have. Well, you're very welcome. It was the least I could do. I was. I remember seeing a vendor with them, and, and and you were talking them up, and I'm like, I gotta grab these for Joe before this this, <laughs> this celebration ends. So, um, and uh, it's funny because after I I handed him, you know, I gave him to you, and like we were looking through, and I'm like, my God, I why didn't I get a set too? <laughs> they were all gone. They're so good. Yeah. Every single one of them is so pretty. It's not like you're, you know, when you look through the cards, like, oh, I got this one. Like, no, every <laughs> single card is so gorgeous. Yeah. So I, I'll admit, when I came home from that celebration, I did order some off eBay. I ordered myself a set. So um, weirdly enough, I still have them in the – like they send them in one of those like big cl- plastic bins, you know, like yeah, – yeah, sure. You know what I'm talking about. And so I still have to put them in their sleeves. I still haven't. And I meant to do that before tonight because I wanted to just relook at them and I, and I didn't. But that will give me – that's that's something I can do this weekend. Um, there you go. With the with the vinyl record on because I love that music so much. Um, uh, we didn't talk about the score. Yeah, yeah, yeah we didn't. Um, but uh, I mean, we, we can circle back to that or also. But like, uh, I, Greg, I, I feel like there's probably something you you are, are itching to to talk about too. I uh, so um, 
I pulled out, and I referenced them earlier, I did pull out some Star Wars Galaxy magazines uh, from that era. And they are very cool. And one of the things you can do is the pull-out posters, which are still stuck in the cover of mine, are giant versions of the Hildebrandt cards. Um, And they're really wonderful. I, I have issue seven here which you pull it out and it's the Falcon chasing the outrider through yep. the Canyon. Um, and then issue nine is a giant Shizor poster. So um, if you love the art, you should track those down. Um, and I'm going to also piggyback. I actually, the only thing I wanted to share um, uh, was also about the trading cards actually. So uh, I have a good friend who does the rebel base card podcast. His name's Greg McLaughlin. Um, and if you search Rebel Base Cards, he just actually got an interview with the, the Hildebrandt brother who's still alive. Oh. And I'm going to forget, I believe Tim is still alive, but Greg has passed. I think oh. that's correct. Um, and the man is 82, um, and he sits down and answers every question, and he remembers a ton of stories about doing uh, them. Oh. And he goes through how long they had and what size the different paintings are. Um, so I could regurgitate a bunch of things I learned in that interview. Um, I won't. I will just direct <laughs> people to see that, uh, to track down that episode. It's really a, it's a good interview. He did it with um, the website Tatooine Times, um, which I think also has a print version of the, the interview up. Um, so if you're interested in the trading cards, that's like... Well, and he also talked a little bit about the original Hildebrandt Brothers star wars poster and when he starts telling that story i i texted greg and i was like my like this is really important star wars history that i have never heard before and you you got it and i feel like it should be a bigger deal so i want to just recommend those and 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 send people that way if if you love the trading cards as much as uh joe and carl do i was i was on ebay this week after listening to the interview trying to find a set and they're not bad they're like 40 bucks i think for base cards 40 to 60 that, that they'll be coming my way although apparently uh, I just learned Carl gives them to friends, and uh, I thought I was a friend. So maybe I'll just start checking my porch. As, as, as an oh, that's what it is. Oh my gosh! Coming yeah, up, <laughs> that'll be me with my stick figures. Uh, they'll really love me. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to point out that interview. So please go enjoy that if if you want. It's Rebel Base Card uh, is the name of the podcast, and it was the one that dropped uh, this past Monday. So I just pulled it up. I'm going to listen to it as soon as we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i need uh, yeah i keep me listen to that too because i saw you shared that uh uh you told me about it not too long ago Greg. so i i, I gotta get on that um but yeah you know I, I i for the sake of time um you know i know we didn't really mention the score as much this time and i know when you know five years ago when we did this we we kind of in depth looked at each particular part of the medium but i really just wanted to, you know i really wanted this to be an opportunity just to talk about what we really remember what we still kind of hold dear about these stories. Um, and, you know, it, so I, I feel satisfied with where we've, where we've gone with this conversation. Um, but, you know, just really quick, I will obviously say I, I love the score for this. It's, it's a really creative take on Star Wars music. It felt like Star Wars music from day one to me. Um, again, like that kind of, you know, arbitrary term, Joe, you know, felt like Star Wars, right? That such a loaded term these days, which can sometimes be used poorly, but all the same, you know, that music really, um, you know, when that, when that score came out in conjunction with that, all the other mediums, um, 
all I had was the novel and the soundtrack when it and the toys. You know, I never I never had the comic until much later. Actually, Greg gave me a copy of the comic if I remember oh, cool. correctly. So um, I do owe him some trading cards. Um, so, but, <laughs> um, you know, I remember. You know, we my cousins and I would would be blasting that score and I, I particularly remember the track uh the beggar's canyon chase like it just it was a really exciting track of music and um you know just kind of running around the their house with with the shadows action figures um you know uh i was using my my cousins had all the toys and i didn't so i was always using their swoop bike toy and my cousin had the the you know, Skyhopper of Luke's and we, you know, just running around playing with those. And this, this music really set the, the stage for me enjoying more Star Wars. And interestingly enough, um, and this is me just kind of maybe derailing us for a second. Growing up, Star Wars music was always a, a pigeonhole in for me for loving these stories. Um, and when I was young, you know, whenever I was reading Legends books, I always was listening to Star Wars music, um, which, you know, up through the mid nineties was essentially just the original trilogy score, which was usually those double double sets from ninety seven. But I never would read to the Shadows of the Empire score because a lot of the music it is very cinematic. It gets really loud in a track and then it gets really quiet. It's kind of all over the place. So I found it too too for me it was too stressful to read to because I was always having to change the volume knob. But it was great for playing to. So like again, I'd pull out the action figures and Shadows would accompany. But when I was sitting down to read, Shadows went on the shelf. So um, that's just my own little personal tale of the the music. Um, and to be fair, it's still the same today. I only ever listen to that score when I'm like goofing around in the Star Wars room or or, or doing something active. I can't really listen to it when I'm when I'm reading star wars because again it is very distracting it is right? yeah and not in a yeah. bad way but just uh, uh it's it's not like for me i mean i i know what kind of music i like to read to and this it's a little too action oriented for me um so but uh did the two of you enjoy the score i mean it, i know it sounds like you certainly did joe uh, i only came to it I think after our last episode you mm. sent me a, a set of mp3s um i certainly enjoy it i you know music isn't my my biggest entryway into star wars but um i it, it's not as memorable to me i think because i came to it so late mm. that makes sense um, um most yeah. of my exposure to it was the video game because a oh, lot right. of these tracks are actually in the game not That's all of right. them weirdly enough yeah um but a decent amount of them like especially that beggar's canyon race uh that that's when I think of the Shadows of the Empire game, I think of that level and that track immediately starts playing in my head. Um, I also, I think it was Night Skies. It's like one of the later tracks. Yeah, um, I love that track. Yeah, it it has my favorite version of the Force theme in it. So funny. Where like yeah. the, the choir, it just like swells up and then the choir is singing to it and it's like, huh. I, I don't know if the word is crescendo, but like it's just like, whoo. Oh, force yeah. theme. What are you doing to me right yeah, now? I'm, I'm <laughs> very gonna, exciting. Here we go. I'm going to put it on right now. Yeah. I love that track. It's it's my favorite across all Star Wars. It's my favorite use of the Force theme for the same reason, Joe. Just the way it gets so 
uh, it, it is. It's this brilliant crescendo into this huge choir. And it's as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but I think it's the only time we have a choir in the Force theme. Yeah. Um, which is really, I, I, yeah, really cool. Yeah, as far as I know, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, oh, it's so, it's such a great piece of music. Um, and, you know, oh my goodness, I am totally blanking on the composer's name. Let me look real quick. Oh, Joel McNeely. Joel, me. Joel McNeely. Yeah. He talked about how that particular track, right? It's, it's that scene, um, Right around the time when you know Luke first shows up on Coruscant, and it's meant to be Vader senses Luke and Luke senses Vader, so it's him musically because it, it starts with Vader's theme as he senses Luke, and then it goes into the Force theme, and then back into Vader's theme, and a little bit of Sheezer's theme as he's plotting against all of them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just really good musical storytelling. Um, but uh, oh, here we go. I wanted to cue this up really quick. Uh, some music from the Empire Strikes Back that was cut from the Empire Strikes Back, which is used a ton in the Battle of Hoth levels for the Shadows mm-hmm. of the Empire game, which is uh, this stuff right here. Um, right here, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I've kind of bopped around. I wish I'd researched that a bit better, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool how they, uh, in the video game went back and took some unused John Williams music and and brought it in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I remember, uh, thinking it was in the movie because it was on the soundtrack too. I was like, Oh no, this is in the movie. But then when you watch the movie, it's clearly not there. So, um, but yeah, so boy, uh, this is, this has certainly been an, Really fun conversation. Um, we usually don't go this long anymore uh, on the Wombas Layer, so I'm going to start wrapping <laughs> this up. Uh, but before I do, I don't want to – again, if, is is there anything that either of you really wanted to bring up that, that we didn't touch on? Because I don't want to leave any strings hanging for either of you. Ooh. Uh, I, think, I, th- I think I got everything out of my system. <laughs> Uh, I'll just say, you know, I think Wampus Lair is a huge prequel kid following. Um, no disrespect, but if you've never tried Shadows, go back and experience it. Um, it's it's certainly one of the more fun ones to go back and, and understand what it was like in the, the early days of fandom. Holds up. Holds up well. For, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, for, except for those one or two things we talked right. about already. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah those, those are a bit cringeworthy for sure, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, overall, I think it's still a very, very fun story. Um, so before we go, uh, I wanted to uh, first highlight, Greg, um, I, I know you're you're really building a following, which is great because you've got, I mean, you, I've said this since the day I met you, you've got such a brilliant mind for Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and I know you've started this kind of new little hunt of your own. You, you, you are endeavoring to collect all of the original vintage line action figures, I believe loose, because um, I know you don't want to take like a second mortgage out. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I just, you know, briefly, like if you want to share kind of why you're choosing to do this now, uh, how the hunt's going. Like, I, I just, I love that you are uh, going after all those old vintage figures. 
Sure. Um, so thank you for, for mentioning it. Um, when I, I was approached maybe two months ago by the Hollow Chronicles podcast, um, really great guys over, the, over there. Um, and they do like um, features on people's collections. Um, and then they ask you questions. And one of the questions they always ask is like, what's your holy grail? What's your like next thing? And I hadn't really thought about a holy grail or a next thing. Um, so I was answering their questionnaire and I said, you know, I really want to just assemble a set of the vintage action figures because I came to fandom, you know, in the early 90s, in the mid 90s. So I was long after those were available to me. Um, I always remember seeing them and, and liking them a lot. Um, and so that was my answer. And then um, those guys being so, so nice. Um, Andy at Hollow Chronicles just put together a little trade with me. I sent him all my um, Force Unleashed uh, toys that I didn't need anymore. I mean, uh, I like them. I'm not not disrespecting Force Unleashed, but um, not a key part of my collection. And he sent me uh, a set of like 38, I think, figures to get my collection going um just blew me away and so i'm off to a good start um i've been sharing photos and unpacking them with my son and having a great time but i'm just going loose i don't care about accessories although the ewok hoods are really nice to have i have to say um and i'm just going to try to kind of pick up a couple every time i go to a comic book shop and and have a nice display of them eventually is the goal so uh yeah it's really fun if anybody wants to to trade something or or share something um you can find me on twitter and instagram at ion cannon e-y-e-o-n-c-a-n-o-n uh so come uh check them out or offer some trades if there's anything you're looking for great yeah, I know. I and when when you started, I was just like, well, anytime I'm in a shop, if I see anything of value, I'm definitely gonna message you right away because <laughs> I, I I I just love our, that you're our local this. shop. They keep them locked behind a counter, and I'm too shy to go ask them to unlock them and look at them. So <laughs> maybe soon we can go together. <laughs> Greg, Greg, you should do like a public checklist or something of what you're still missing. This way, if anybody ever sees anything and is like, hey, I see this thing. Okay, what, yeah. You know, you'd be able to see what you still need. And then this way, if I ever go, oh, Greg needs this. Let me grab it for him. Oh, I will do that. That's a good suggestion. So, yeah, it's fun. Uh, I I really did. I Like, top on my list was Hammerhead. And that was in the first package I opened from Hollow Chronicles. So I was like, perfect. This nice. is the one I wanted. So, uh, cool. Thank you. Um, And then, Joe, what about you? Where can folks... Uh, stay in touch with you and, you know, your endeavors. Uh, Joe Hogan art on everything. I don't think I really have anything exciting going on right now. <laughs> it's just like celebrations coming up. So I'll be doing some concept stuff for that. Hopefully uh, one of those will get chosen and they'll be in the art show next year. That would be awesome. Uh, otherwise I have one or two in the pipe with Acme. So one or two this year. Uh, should end up on their site for for sale, but in terms of social media and YouTube and all that stuff, uh, Joe Hogan art. And uh, I don't have anything nearly as fun or exciting as Greg does. <laughs> but if anyone wants to help me find the uh, <laughs> the new Black Series Clone Wars figures from Target that are like impossible to find, we are not having a lot of luck here in New York or with the website. It's uh, it's what it's Echo and then the Clone Wars realistic version of Obi Wan and Anakin and clone pilot hawk uh, i'm more than happy to pay full price and send you some artwork <laughs> if anyone <laughs> wants to help uh but it's it's been such a 
such a bummer every every uh cold lead that's come up over the past like week or so because they just dropped recently so yeah hmm. I, can I just? I want to uh, tell you, Joe. I got such a kick out of uh, when your Ahsoka print dropped on Acme, and I was getting a ton of Instagram ads. I'm like, I know him. I know him. Uh, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah. And that Honestly, sold out very quickly, right? I mean, I still see it passed around that people just love it, but it's. Oh great. well, thank you. Uh, yeah, the the second Ahsoka one that I did sold out in about a month. The first one I did sold out, I think, a month after that, and it was a month before. So I think that was about three months, but both of my Soga prints sold out from Acme, which is really, really, really cool. Hey. It's very satisfying. But Baby Yoda's not moving. <laughs> There's plenty of Baby Yoda's on stock. Nobody wants, nobody wants Grogu. That is a really interesting bit of market research. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, you know what? I guess Ahsoka is like fever pitch popular right now with everything going yeah. on. Mm. Um, yeah. Um. Well, thank you both so much for for taking the time to be on here and to and and revisiting the classic '90s hit Shadows of the Empire. Uh, that was just a blast. I love talking about this story, and 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 again, <laughs> love that we got to do it again five years later. So, you know, if neither of you are doing in May doing anything May in 2026, you know, we'll we'll come back for its 30th anniversary and look <laughs> at it again. No reason to think we can't. If we're still alive, we're going to be so old by then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for having us. And of course, thank you to Jason for trusting us with his uh, co-host spot for the evening. Uh, We we miss him, but we get the hint that I'm always around whenever he's not. So (laughs) starting starting to see a a pattern here. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, again, thank you both so much for for taking the time to be here. and again, you know, follow. Be sure to follow Greg on whether it's Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Ion Cannon. Joe is all over the place with uh, Joe Hogan art. So check check them both out. Stay involved. Only it's fans great. coming soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joe Hogan art. Only fans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so uh, thank you all for being with us for this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This has been episode 426, Shadows of the Empire, 25th anniversary. For Joe and for Greg, I am Carl, and we will see you here next time in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>